lot of people spend all of their time in memory, and a lot of people spend all of their time in imagination, and some people spend all of their time in the line right between both, which is the present moment. You have to be able to kind of look at all three at the same time if you're going to be a visionary. Welcome to Non-Zero. I'm your host, Aaron Kanata, and I'm here today with Mitch Thrower. Mitch is the CEO and co-founder of Events.com. Events provides a single unified solution to event organizers. Mitch is also the co-founder of a company called Active.com, which uh, was founded back in the 90s and ended up selling twice for over a billion dollars. So I think it's pretty fair to say that Mitch knows a little bit of something about business. And uh, we're here today to talk about the event space, you know, the difficulties of running a business in the COVID era, but really just the difficulties of running a business in general. I think it, 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 it all speaks from one thing to the next. So, Mitch, it's a pleasure to have you on the mic. Oh, great to be here, Aaron. Really great to be here. Hopefully I can provide some insight. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that you will be. And before we jump into events, I'd love to just get a little bit of your background. You and I are both not far from each other. We're, you're sitting in La Jolla, California, and I'm just a couple miles north along the beach in a town called Cardiff. And I think being in California for both of us has done a great deal toward the type of entrepreneur that we are and really how we run our business. Can you talk a little bit about how you got here and, and, and really what was driving you to really just kind of get us up to events.com? Absolutely. I, I started my first company out of college, which was doing college marketing and ultimately travel passes for students that were traveling on the Eurail Pass in Europe. We migrated that order system online as one of the first online efforts in the space and, and, and fell in love in the process because I had four knee surgeries, had fractured the inner part of my knees, uh, fell in love with the sport of triathlon, which was kind of my way of recovery was swimming, biking and running. And in, in that uh, love of the sport of triathlon, there's a Mecca in the US uh, called San Diego, which is the Mecca <laughs> of the sport of triathlon. So kind of followed my pilgrimage, if you will, to the sport of triathlons Mecca and moved my company at the time to th this region. And it was just an incredible, wonderful lifestyle change, wonderful weather and a great opportunity to continue the pursuit. And, you know, following that, obviously got involved in the, the sport and had dreams of becoming a professional athlete. But ultimately, you know, it's difficult as a professional triathlete to see the type of numbers that you see like NFL or NASCAR or the Kentucky Derby, if you will. I mean, ultimately, it's a different world and it's a, a recreational and a professional world. But um, back then, got to the Ironman World Championship 94 and they said, and now winning the Ironman for the grand prize of, I don't remember how much it was, but I think my trip cost about the same amount. And, <laughs> and um, ultimately... The gold medal gets you a break even. Right. So in that case, and then they've changed it now. The Ironman World Championship certainly has increased their prize purse, but I realize I'm going to have to figure out another way to generate revenue and money around my passion. Um, and that was sort of the start of a, of, a, of a wonderful next two chapters in my career. I want to linger here for a second, because what sort of individual has four surgeries and then gets into to a sport like Ironman and, and dreams of being a, a gold medalist? Isn't that usually the end of your career? <laughs> right. You know, life, life is funny like that. Anything that is taken away from you, you tend to appreciate more. You know, you take advantage or you tend to take advantage of the things that become familiar. And in this case, losing the capacity to move really catapulted me forward to celebrate movement, um, not just professionally or not just personally and physically, but also professionally. Do you find there's a lot of overlap between 
you were already running a business at the time when, when this happened, right? Is there a lot of overlap between being entrepreneurial and being a driven athlete, being driven to be a top athlete in, in, in a sport? No doubt. I think that it's not just a drive. It's also, I mean, in light of the sport of triathlon, there's this concept of transitions where, you know, you swim as fast as you can and you're surrounded by a bunch of other folks that are, you know, whacking you in the face or kicking you in the face. And then you get out of the water and you have to transition and not entirely unlike this concept called a pivot or an iteration, right? In business where right. you have to change as many things as you can get on something completely different and then move forward using a bike and then change and, you know, lose the bike and change entirely and then become a runner. So, you know, there's a, a there's parallels across most sport in terms of commitment, dedication, focus, training, preparation, you know, it just, there's a vast metaphors and comparisons, but specific to triathlon, I've found that that capacity to, you know, pivot and, and, and also just keep going, right? I mean, when you're finishing the end of a long Ironman event anywhere around the world, there's this theme that you need to remember, which is just keep going. And often mm. you find yourselves, you know, in positions like that in business. I think the theme that, or the concept of transitions is such an, an interesting one. And for so many people, you look at the finish line and, and, and in a triathlon and an Ironman, whatever it is, there's a definitive finish line. But do you ever feel when, when you when you cross that finish line, do you ever feel like something is truly finished? Or is that simply a transition? Much like if you're running a business and you get some sort of funding, you get venture funding or you hit some sort of major milestone. Do you think a lot of too many people see that as an absolute finish line and that can kind of hold them back? You know, potentially that's that's an interesting concept. The whole concept of the finish line versus the starting line, right? I mean, when you get yeah. funded with venture, that's the starting line. That's not the finish line. When you have an exit, that's the starting line of your next chapter in your life. And sometimes people struggle with that, right? Is you know, yeah. a, a mentor of mine many years ago, Tom Jockers, actually was a math teacher, said something that I think we've all heard, which is be careful of what you want in life because chances are you'll get it. That means if you dedicate your entire life to focus on getting what you want, and when I say dedicate, I mean dedicate. I don't mean think about something you want and then watch 10 seasons of something on Netflix. I mean focus. That's something that uh, will happen. And then when you get it, you have to make sure you wanted it in the first place. Otherwise, it's going to be a, you know, an empty balloon type experience where, you know, you didn't really understand why you wanted that. So, you know, think very carefully about what it is that you want before you work towards it. I think that's great advice. What do you think motivates you? I mean, so uh, I, I joked earlier about having four surgeries being the end of a career versus the beginning of an athletic one. But a lot of people would look at that. And, you know, even, even if they say, hey, I'm, I'm on the road to recovery and I'm going to walk again and, and, and are determined to do that, most wouldn't think I'm going to run an Ironman, just like most people don't think to start their own business. Is there somebody in your life or was there some sort of event or events that you can identify that got you to where you are today or, or, or built some sort of personal character trait within you that causes you or, or helps drive you on a day to day basis? Yeah, no, no question. Um, there is. It's very personal. Um, my sister, who was 16, sadly, we lost her at age 16 to cancer. And, you know, I can remember she actually, uh, she actually died in my arms. And when she went through her, you know, two years of chemo and all the challenges that she went through, 
I can remember the delta just between her not being able to play outside and me being able to play outside and the impact of health and fitness. And it's almost like, you know, you, you owe it to all of the people who aren't able to make full use of their physical bodies to make full use of yours and to make full use of your life. You owe it to all the people who've lost their lives. It's like, this is an incredible opportunity. So that was formative, certainly formative in my career, which is, you know, to love movement and, you know, really build my life around the career, which was so movement focused. And, and I've always said the fountain of youth is movement. And that fountain of youth is something that so many people don't tap into. Um, and that's movement physically, that's movement professionally, that's movement in your careers. I mean, the whole uh, concept of stagnation is something that just really, really bothers me. And yeah. that's probably a result of what I went through by losing my sister. Buckminster Fulster, I think, was, it calls it procession. And even, even if the things in your life that are happening happen at 90 degree angles and aren't anything that, that you expected them to be, the concept of, or the act of, I should say, motion and movement in and of itself produces positive outcomes. That's and so I think true. that it seems to me that that is, is it fair to say that's been the recurring theme throughout what you do in your life, whether it's business or personal is always focused on health and obviously the the event space you could even say living life to the fullest i mean if you're helping people organize these wonderful massive events these are things that people are presumably or hopefully going to remember for the rest of their lives yeah and that's a, a big part of a big part of events and a big part of you know sort of a life's work and a life's mission is to help people experience the most meaningful moments of their lives and many times that's event based you know, monotony or repetitive behaviors and patterns make you lose concepts and lose memory because you don't remember what is normal. You remember those events that you've gone to, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, a big concert, a big festival, a Broadway show, I mean, my goodness, a wedding, whatever it might be, the things that are in your life that are events are things that really decorate our existence. And that's something that's, you know, it, it's an honor to be in that business. Mm -hmm. Certainly a challenging business to be in right now, but we, we see there's another, another end or another side of this as this um, situation that we're in now sort of dissipates over time. So what was the impetus or the gen, give, give us the Genesis story of events. How do you go from, you know, helping people sign up for triathlons and staying fit to helping people organize mass events? What was, uh, did, did you notice a pain point in the event industry in the same way that you, you did with triathlons? Yeah, very, very common. Um, a little bit different though, because it was later in the stage of technology development. So in the beginning with the first larger venture that I had built up and ultimately went public and then sold a few times, that was, hey, I'm having trouble and I'm frustrated registering for the Ironman Triathlon World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. I've got to fill out like this 40 page form. My handwriting's bad. I had registered for events previously and received something back in the mail, like in the physical mail that said, you know, welcome back to your race, Mitten Thraveven. Now, my <laughs> name is Mitch Thrower, not Mitten Thraveven. So it was kind of an apparent, a glaring problem, right? Which is handwritten to digital and then all the things that can come about it, but learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, and as the industry matured, events started to really take on a life of their own, meaning people started to, and still 
have been in a migratory fashion from buying things to buying experiences. I think people are very frustrated now and there's probably a catapult where people are going to buy more experiences. But, you know, in essence, connecting with some of my investors and the people I'd worked with before to say what sector hasn't really been kind of taken by storm, uh, meaning, you know, sectors that have been taken by storm are like apartments, Airbnb, social, Facebook, right. restaurant discovery, Yelp. I mean, if someone said, where do you find, interact and transact with all of the events in your life? We want that to be events.com. And that that was a really uh, amazing opportunity and an amazing window to say this is a this is a tremendous sector to go after and myself and uh, co-founder Stephen Partridge you know had been huddling up and saying okay what what is the sector we incubated a few concepts we looked at the connected car you know we worked through various growth opportunities and ultimately ended up you know with this gravitational force pulling us back into where we had spent so much time in our careers which is you know the event management system and event discovery systems that really got um, fragmented. And I think that's this, in essence, what happened is, let's say you have, you know, the Aaron Fest, right? It's the Aaron Festival. I'm planning that now. Can, yeah. can we use events.com? Yeah, you can. And you can do it all <laughs> mobile first and, you know, all the buzzwords, right? Mobile first, digital. Wouldn't be a tech company if you didn't have buzzwords. That's right. Um, but, but in essence, you typically will be using anywhere from 10 to 15 different technologies to manage your event. You've got one company doing your ticketing, another company's doing your app for on-site check-in. You got another company that built your app for the event. Some guy in the corner is selling sponsorships on a spreadsheet. It's not all integrated and it's not all on one platform. So what we're doing is bringing all of those things onto one platform and taking something really as complicated as Salesforce, but making it as easy to use as Facebook and allowing event organizers worldwide to use it in multiple languages. That's and a that, powerful statement. It's a big undertaking, but it's a worthwhile undertaking because the, the world needs it. The organizers need it. I mean, they're creating the most meaningful moments in people's lives. They need the same level of support that the apartment world has gotten or the professional world has gotten with LinkedIn, right? I mean, Reid Hoffman said, if you're a professional and you're not on LinkedIn, you're not a professional, we're going to create a world where if you're an event and not on events.com, you're not an event. That at least is one of our core manifests. Now, is, is this, obviously this isn't for necessarily the one-off events in, uh, in your life, like uh, weddings and bar mitzvahs, or, or can it be used for that before I step on my, my own toes? <laughs> no worries. We have people that have used it for their birthday parties. We're not currently, though I wouldn't be surprised if you soon someday see the capacity to use it just as an invitation tool. We do have invitation tools people can use to invite people to events in the system. And as the system gets smarter and bigger and more robust, there's really no reason why you can't use it for almost anything you need relating to an event. So here, here in San Diego, we've got the convention center. I think it's one of the major attractions as far as getting people to San Diego. There's a word for that that I can't think of. I think tourism. Right. But um, you know, we, we bring a lot of people. Is it at that level that we're talking about even where, where somebody who's uh, running and operating events out of the San Diego convention center is using it? I'm thinking big music festivals as well. Can you just give us some examples of, of people who are your, your users, somebody who Absolutely. is feeling the pain so, and saying, Mitch, when I found your product, it was like, you know, God handed me a gift from on high. You know, and that is, that's the, that's the reaction we are looking for is the wow reaction and the wow reaction for someone to, you know, get off of a moped and get into a Tesla 
is it's just a completely different experience. And that's what people find when they're switching from, you know, an antiquated technology that's in multiple different systems onto one system that just solves their their needs. And so, you know, we, we power the Wonderfront Festival, local festival. They had 56,000 gate, gate entries, which was bigger than, um, I think, bigger than Austin City Limits or Coachella or some of their early days uh, mm-hmm. for a first-year festival. Amazing festival. It's coming back in 2021. They paused for 2020, as most events did. Right. And, you know, or the Rise Festival, which is this wonderful lantern festival that happens out outside of Las Vegas, where you light the lanterns up in the sky. But it's, you know, things as small as a comedy show, you know, whether it's a a group that is using you for, you know, your virtual yoga class, you see all kinds of things. Now, now there's two parts of events, right? One is discover the event. And in that case, people can post their event through our platforms, whether no matter what ticketing or software company they're using, the same way you can find restaurants, no matter who processed the credit card for them. Um, so, you know, events.com is bigger than just the software that we power. It's also the capacity to find the events around you. And we have some announcement that, announcements that will be coming out in late this year, early next year around that. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a big part of our manifest is, you know, you get to New York, you open your phone, you find a hotel on hotels.com. You want to be able to find every event around you, customized to you, Netflix style through algorithmic matching and machine learning to help you decide what to do and to show you what your friends are doing. Um, And that's a big part of our manifest as well. Do you think that the collection of events or at least events as a consumable, do you find that there's a generational divide? Uh, What do you mean exactly? I have a theory and I don't, I I certainly didn't come up with it because I don't think I've got an original thought in my brain, (laughs) but you know, I I, th- I have this theory about how social media feeds into, um, you know, lo- younger generations, millennials, which is what I am on, on the cutoff, and then Gen Zs, even more so, where they're, you, you mentioned earlier, they're not necessarily wanting to collect physical stuff. That's not what they're really after. They're after experiences. But half of me, and, and, and I don't doubt that the experiences are incredible and they have these wonderful times that, and, and build memories that they're, are going to last for their, for their lives. But then you also see those experiences and you get to share those with everybody else in your world through social media. And that, that is some sort of currency that people carry around. And so you, you're, you're consistently seeing other people doing these amazing things. And there's only so many times you can post a picture of your 60-inch flat screen TV. Right. So you actually have to get out in the world and do something in order to have worthwhile pictures. This is your social currency. This is who you are. It's so true. Uh, Think about the concept of FOMO, right, which is the fear of missing out. Um, I'll never forget. We posted something that, you know, uh, was was saying, hey, you know, uh, events.com, you know, so that you can know what's happening or trying to think of the exact word that was uh, I think it was events.com do more. Um, and then someone had posted one of the comments that said, or at least know what you're missing, right? And, and that's, <laughs> that's what's happening in social, right? Is that yeah. people now know what they're missing. And before that happened, like if I said to you today, do you know the you know 500 events that are happening around you um, in a pre-COVID world, the 500 events that are happening around you today, and are you interested in any of them? you likely wouldn't have to because the, you wouldn't be able to, right? Because where are you going to find those events? You know, if you Google the event, you know, you'll get stuff. If you find stuff on some of our competitors, you'll get some stuff, but there's no one central repository for everything. Yeah. 
Well, I think there's there's going to be vanity introduced into every system. And I, I think in, in if I had a choice of two worlds, I'd rather people collecting experiences and actually going out and enjoying and being in the world than collecting physical things. You know, be, before there was keeping up with the Joneses where you saw what your neighbors had and you said, I want that. And now it's keeping up with, you know, what the burners, right? The people going yeah. to Burning Man and uh-huh. say, I want to do that. That looks like a lot of fun. The foundation of all human relationships is common experience. And that common experience facilitated through an event builds human relationships, which has a really interesting impact on our lives, right? I mean, we become, every person becomes a billionaire when they're 32 years old. And that's because they're able to get, you know, over what is, I think it's a billion minutes that they've accumulated by the time they've, you know, or seconds might be a billion seconds. I don't mm-hmm. have my math open, but you get either a billion seconds or a billion minutes by the time you're 32 years old. And, and I'm going to tell my wife I'm a billionaire. She's going to be pretty thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check and see if the site is pretty seconds. Yeah. Let's see. 60. I think it's 60 seconds. I, I do like the, the idea of, of human connection. And what, um, this, this is a really nice segue into the state of the world today because, you know, you hear people going as far as saying COVID is going to kill the handshake. And I'm sitting here scratching my head saying, we're, we're social animals. We're social creatures. We are evolved toward and inclined toward these behaviors. We want to be together. We want to experience life together and be in the company and presence of other people. That, that's why I'm hopeful and I'm hopeful for the event space. And I really think we'll see a co- recovery. You can speak to that way better than I, I can. But can we talk about currently, like the last couple of months, what, what the experience has been like for you and your team at events? Yeah. And I think in context of just sharing with, uh, you know, under the light of helping other people through challenges, right? So if you look at the world, not just the event sector, I mean, events and airplanes and travel was probably the first act in the COVID nightmare play because, you know, it was there. But I mean, the second act is certainly going to be things like commercial real estate and, you know, other factors of change. And in life, anytime there is tremendous disruption and dissonance, you have tremendous opportunity. Uh, we saw that in prior ventures where we you know, got more traction in 01, 05, 08 than some of the other years combined, just because you know, if you keep your head together when other people don't, the opportunities mm-hmm. start to show up. Um, so you know, no question, the event sector with cancellations, postponements, shifting to virtual, you know, what a challenge, right? We were very fortunate to have an incredible technology team and kind of an over-the-top supportive customer support team who could jump on helping the event organizers and immediately rolling out technologies for postponements, deferrals, immediately jumping on the phone and working with organizers to manage shifting their events to virtual and launching features for virtual events that were now needed. So, you know, being an agile, fast moving technology company helps a lot when things are changing around you, especially at the pace of COVID. Mm -hmm. We have no doubt that over time, the event economy receives a, you know, nearly or exceedingly past its prior normal return to its existence. What we see are things like New Zealand, when they had reopened temporarily, events broke 15 year attendance records because people are just so tired of being quarantined or socially distanced. And you wow. know, we're wired to connect. Human beings are wired to connect. We've been that way forever. And you know, you may behave differently in social settings, 
maybe you'll wash your hands more and perhaps new normal devices will come out. We've seen a lot of interesting things come out technologically, like, you know, the breath test for events that we're tracking and talking to some firms about where, you know, in 2022, you might end up going to a Broadway show or a festival and breathing into a pathogen detector and saying, oh, you don't have tuberculosis or the flu. Come on in. Oh, you have the flu. Here's a ticket to the next week's show. I mean, things will change as a result of what we've just gone through. And it's all about being a part of that change and helping facilitate people to, you know, get together and feel safe when they get together. But, you know, ultimately, we're in a world with lots and lots of scientists working on solving problems and mm. problems will occur. Problems will get solved and we, we know we'll live through certain cycles. But we think people will really be stronger coming out of this. Uh, we also think there's going to be a very large comeback of the event sector because of that withholding, you know, you, you know, when people are kept, kept away, it's almost like we're all teenagers, not allowed out of the house. And what <laughs> we're itching then? for it. I, I feel it welling up inside. I, you can sense it when you speak with people, when you see somebody you haven't seen for a long time. I'm, I'm yearning for a handshake even, you know, we've been extra careful because my wife is uh, pregnant with our second and, you know, you always want to take precautions. But I think you're right. I'm, I'm struck by this dichotomy where on the one hand, you get people who are so quick to to proclaim this is the new norm. And I'm inclined to agree with them in, in the sense that, sure, there's a new norm, but it's amazing to me also at the same time how quickly we adjust to new norms. And so when when we do get a, you know, some sort of signal that life can proceed back as as normal, I guess you would say, maybe there, there, there will be some, some differences. Maybe we do take some extra precautions. Maybe we're, you know, living life slightly differently. It might be truly a new norm, but it's not going to be the norm that we're living in today. It's not going to be the norm that, you know, we were, became accustomed to very quickly when COVID first hit and we thought maybe we were going to never leave our bedrooms again. No, that's exactly it. You're right. And what happened, right? I mean, take a look at what happened and why it seemed so disruptive to everyone. Actually, my co-founder for events, or our co-founder of events, Stephen Partridge had said, you know, what happened was everyone slid to a different part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh, I and, talk about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and people were disproportionately, wait a minute, now I'm no longer worried about, you know, I'm not you know, in Santa Barbara, California, thinking about my self-actualization in my yoga class, I slid all the way down to, you know, am I going to have water and food because right. my job is not there anymore. So, you know, as people figure out where they are, they're going to start climbing again, right? It's like I'm going to move from physiological needs to safety needs to love and belonging to esteem. A lot of the world was living at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and there's been a lot of sliding down. But there will be events that help people climb to the next level as we emerge from coronavirus, because events are such a fundamental part of human interaction. I think that's right. So you've got a partner named with the last name Partridge and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember hearing that your father or grandfather invented the Yule log. That's correct. <laughs> I don't know why I put those two together in my head, but they just seem so wholesome. Ah, you maybe got the Partridge <laughs> family that we all grew up with, right? And we yeah. with the Yule Log. So WPIX Yule Log 1966, my father, Fred Thrower, How funny. Uh, kicked roller derby off the air to give a Christmas card to the viewers. And um, it became an institution and, and turned into, you know, a whole way of being, right? If you look at some of the YouTube and some of the... Yeah, you guys are a slice of Americana. 
right? I'm glad I plucked that out out of the ether. I don't know where it came from. A muse visited me. But you guys recently were were um, voted. This is this is really an incredible accolade. But you were you were voted one of the best small companies uh, to work for or for what what was it exactly? Companies to grow your career. Correct. Twenty twenty career advancement in twenty twenty, which is a, a very interesting place to be, right? Especially being in the events industry. I mean, that speaks volumes about your company, what you guys are building. How do you think built, you know, corporate culture? Because obviously you don't get that accolade without, you know, thinking a lot about how you run your company and, and how your employees engage with and interact and all of that. Um, how do you think a, a strong corporate culture, A, do you, do you actively think about that and, and try to build one? Uh, and if so, how does that help weather things like COVID, thing, you know, unexpected events that can shake an entire industry? Well, I think if you continue to put clients and people first, and that that will automatically translate into a whole ethos of how you behave uh, when it comes to taking care of your folks. And it's tough, right? Because when you're in a coronavirus situation and revenues are diminished for a temporary period, it's tough to do the right thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. lots of companies are just, you know, bringing down the axe. In our case, when it happened, we decided to focus on, you know, different levels of, you know, even running furloughs of taking people to percentages of their salary. And even in, in certain cases, making sure everyone still has health insurance, right? Just just something as simple as that, as you get ready to go into uh, a pandemic, and let's say your company had to lay off people, there's a way to lay them off and there's a way to work your formula and your cost basis to make sure that even in the layoff structures that you achieved, you made sure everyone was taken care of and their families were taken care of during the time of coronavirus when people were fearful. Mm-hmm. Things like that mean something. And it's very important for companies to believe in their people because, you know, it, the, the entities are institutions that we all interact with for a period of time in our careers. And almost invariably, the entities are, you know, sold or go public and people transition, and the people are still there. And, you know, you're going to want to be able to recruit your star players back into whatever, you know, 10 years down the road, things you work on. And, you know, that's a that's a beautiful, just methodology is just take put your customers and your people first. And, you know, it's kind of a Bezos, Bezos, Bezosism. Bezosian. Bezos, Bezo- Be- did we make up a word? It's a Bezosian kind of philosophy. That's exactly right. I don't know if this has been said before. It's a Bezosian philosophy. <laughs> He'll appreciate it. Maybe I can get his attention if I say that enough. I'm going to make that a, a catchphrase of mine in every episode, <laughs> or maybe I can get him on the show. Exactly. It was this Bezosian. <laughs> Well, and, and Amazon, you know, does products and, you know, experiences are products. And, you know, what we've done is we've, we even built a merchandise management system into the platform. So when it comes to events managing their merchandise, it's built in our tech team, which again, I can't speak highly enough about has built some incredible technology that allow you to, you know, manage what you're selling at the time that the event is either happening with on-site sales or pre-event with an inventory-based system. So, you know, revenue and time. Do you have a tech background personally? Yeah, so I have an outdated tech background. I mean, certainly I'm focused on the technology that's happening today. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, trying to hire people that are tech. I was an engineer at one point. I was, 
you know, even a self-proclaimed, you know, computer hack, if you would, you know, operating on a Commodore 64 many, many years ago, um, doing some code, doing some programming, did some stuff in Cold Fusion, built some databases for some of the initial businesses. So I know enough to be dangerous and I know enough to yeah. at least understand what the systems are, but I do my best to stay up to date with, you know, the languages and, you know, the general philosophies of each language and what's available. But, uh, you know, the number one thing to do is to hire people who are far smarter than I am, who can get stuff done and who That's can a get sign it. of good leadership. Yeah. I also think to be a true visionary, you have to know just not enough to be naive about what can and can't be done. Cause you have to push the limits. You have to push people. Obviously jobs wouldn't have been able to do what he did with Apple without Wozniak, but he wasn't the tech guy. He understood tech. He understood how it could disrupt lives and change lives and, and how ubiquitous the, the personal computer could become. But he wasn't the one out there creating it. He, he was dreaming up these things and then saying, all right, make this happen. And he just had this force of will that he was able to manifest his dreams and his visions. And, and it wasn't just by dreaming about them. It was by taking action on them. But um, I, I do think there has to be some level of willful naivety, even with the Elon Musks of the world, you know, who, who he, he is an incredibly brilliant person and, and probably and no, nobody would claim he's not tech minded, but the spaces within which he's operating, he's not the expert. You know, he's saying the same things you are. It's hire incredibly smart people, hire people who are smarter than you. I think leadership is a distinctly different skill set necessarily than being an engineer or being technical and, and actually being able to put, well, in the past it was screws together. Now it's bytes and whatever it goes into actually making computers and software work. This is me showing my, how, how, uh, how yeah. backwards I am in my, but, my understanding of tech. But what you're saying is so accurate is just being able to identify superpowers in other individuals and then recruit and manage those superpowers to, you know, in some cases, not let them, you know, burn yourself, right? But in other cases, mm -hmm. just, you know, f funnel the funnel brilliance and help people achieve what they want to achieve. And, and my, my father, who was an incredible man, he actually had a phrase, which was, you know, it would be great. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> and and every, everywhere we'd go, he'd see something that could be just a little bit better and he'd share news about that or what people would think. And wouldn't it be great if this could happen? Wouldn't it be great if that could happen? And sometimes engineers, just by the nature of being engineers, are always solving problems or finding problems and to on, in the direction of creating a solution. And, you know, whether it's QA or whatever it might be, I mean, technology is a vastly complicated, I mean, software as a service is a vastly complicated business. But if you, you know, take that approach and say, hey, you know what would be great? And, and you really kind of look beyond what is being done now um, in our case, what's being done now for event organizers with them using different platforms and, and say, wouldn't it be great if I had a place where I could find all my events and I could power all my events and it wasn't that complicated and it was easy to use and I could manage it on my mobile phone anywhere around the world. Huh. You know, that, do you think you internalize that? Do you think your dad's saying that throughout your entire childhood? You obviously, you look up to him, idolize him. Uh, he's a mentor of sorts. Is, is that something that you attribute some of your success to? Yeah, that, that and in, to him in particular, but that phrase in particular as well. There's a, a, a mentor I had as well who was the founder of Triathlete Magazine, Bill Katowski, 
who ended up working with a, a Belgian gentleman to grow this sport from nothing into something. And mm -hmm. he said something to me very, very meaningful. And as, as entrepreneurs and visionaries out there think about things, he said, be careful communicating your vision to the world and those people around you because it takes a long time often for them and the world to catch up to their future. And, you know, sometimes you'll be right with what's happening in the future and sometimes you'll be wrong. But regardless, people tend to live in the present moment. A lot of people just spend all of their time in memory and a lot of people spend all of their time in imagination. And some people spend all of their time in the, the line right between both, which is the present moment. You have to be able to kind of look at all three at the same time if you're going to be a visionary and see what happened before, what's possible, and how do I get the people in the present moment to be a part of it? Do you think this is a skill set that most outrageously successful, or just let's drop the outrageous, but most successful entrepreneurs, business leaders have in common? Is that something that you see as, as an imperative or a, a must-have to be a great leader? I think so. And I, I think an enhanced version of that is being able to look at the present moment as if you're in the future. And that's something you'll see when you approach someone and they seem calm and everyone else is crazy. And this is like a disaster. You know, people can just step aside and step out of that moment and say, okay, well, what does this mean for the future? And how will this play out in different decision trees? And then just, you know, play every angle that you can to get the best outcome from your, for yourself and your company. That's, that's where people really need to think, especially in, in light of whatever they're facing in times like coronavirus or another struggle, or when things happen in their personal lives, it's being able to take that, you know, have a, a future perspective on the present moment. I think that's a real trait that you'll see in successful folks in business that I've seen. Well, we, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So, so let's talk about the future since we're, we're lingering there anyway. What does the future look like for events? Is there anything that you can discuss with us about partnerships? We don't have to name names if we don't want to, but wh where do you see you guys going? Uh, I, I don't even know what the future looks like when, when, when I conceptualize it, uh, but we could talk about six months. We could talk about six years. We could talk about six decades, you know? So I think the, the world invariably recovers in some way, shape or form, I think it's also going to be regional. We, we see sort of a game of flashlight tag around the world where certain regions will emerge first from the challenges or at least the primary challenges associated with the health issues and the safety issues and other regions will follow. As that happens, you will see significant changes in behavior. Some will call it getting back to normal. Some will call it getting back to the new normal, but things are going to no matter what, be a lot better than they are now. And this is kind of looking at the present moment from the future. You know, this is this, this 2020 is a year we all lived through and we all, God willing, will live through because sadly some of us will not. And I think that if you can, you know, keep perspective, no one knows the exact when. There's lots of data and research that we're following and, you know, we, we have our own take on, on when things emerge in the event space. I'd rather not sort of share that specifically because we could be wildly wrong and we're preparing to be wildly right and wildly wrong at the same time. But, um, you know, it's a, it, it's going to be a new world that we're living in and we're all going to be getting back together. And in the meantime, we should all get back together virtually because our, our time is our most valuable asset and the people around us are where we need to invest it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's it. That's, that's the biggest, the biggest and best piece of maybe reflection that I've 
gathered from this whole thing is just how valuable the people that we interact with are, you know, and we've been, you know, given this, this horrible, deadly gift, which hopefully will remain temporary and we can shorten its, uh, you know, expanse in our life and then go back to living a more enriched life. Um, that's fuller because we all sort of face this together. Well, if I can be a little bit selfish, I mean, one, one of the reasons I enjoy talking to you, and I, I really appreciate your your focus on humanity, both at the collective level, you know, we've been talking about what it what it means uh, for us as a collective, but but the individuals too, the people that work for you, it comes through and it, it rings very clear in everything that you do, how important and, and just how human all of this is. And the, the title of the show and, and the company that I'm, I'm working on is non-zero. And the idea is that growth is not a zero sum game. I've got a lot of taglines running around in my head, you know, uh, uh, good business is relationship based, not transactional, you know, pr- uh, purpose need not be the enemy of profits. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you think about all of that? Do you, do you see capitalism and, and being an entrepreneur and running and growing a business as a distinctly separate thing from being a good ethical moral, whatever those things mean to you, human being, or are they intrinsically married in your mind? Could, could you divorce the two and, and run a business without thinking about the bigger picture? Or do you, ha- I, I, I mean, just, is this ingrained in who you are? You know, I think the, the three Buffett pillars of integrity, intelligence, and motivation are things that not only can help you get more successful by saying, okay, how, how can we hire people who have integrity, intelligence, and motivation? And, you know, if you get two without one of the others, then it's a disaster. And you can kind of run your metaphorical analysis and say, you know, if you get someone who's got a lot of integrity and a lot of motivation, but they're not that smart, or if they've got a lot of motivation and they're smart, but no integrity, you know, all of those things cause problems. And I think it's the combination of those three things, not only in your careers, but in your lives that, you know, I attribute this to Buffett, but those, those com that combo is what helps avoid and helps not only become, you know, helps investors and people who are building businesses and hiring teams be more successful, but it prevents an awful lot of problems because over time, what you'll learn that the problem with business is people. And you have to make sure that you are managing that part of the process correctly. And we're all going to make mistakes. I mean, I make mistakes every day. It's just, you know, you, you want to make as few as possible and correct them as quickly as possible. I think that's a great place to wrap up. I'm reminded actually, there's, uh, if you're familiar with Nassim Taleb, he wrote oh, a book sure. recently called An- Anti-Fragile. And I think yeah, about that a lot. I, I really think focusing on our collective humanity and all of the things you just talked about are, are really the way toward building a, a truly anti-fragile business, but economy as well and, and society. Um, because it's, you're right, it is 100% human. human. So Mitch, and anything else you want to discuss? I do want to give you a chance to get out. Uh, is it events.com if anybody wants to go? We're going to throw the links in the show notes. But oh, if you want to plug anything or, or have the last yeah, word, it was really you, a pleasure having you on the mic. Thank you so much. And hopefully we added some insight. I mean, for all the entrepreneurs out there, remember that entrepreneurship is an endurance sport. You know, try and find people that have intelligence, integrity, and motivation to work with. And maybe finally find your number 28, you know, which is if you remember that game, Shoots and Ladders from many yeah. years ago, where if you landed on number 28, you got to climb all the way to the end of the game. 
and jump over all the other pieces. Um, those are the people in your life. So, you know, so find that person who you spend time investing in that can help you advance yourself and your career and your business goals. You know, spend a lot of, a lot, spend less time with those people that you know you don't want to answer the phone from their energy vampires. You know, it's hard at times, <laughs> There's all, you know, every day, think about how you're spending that time and who you're spending it on and, and you know, be ruthless. That's brilliant. Well, thank you, Mitch. Hopefully we can follow this up. I'd love to get you back on the mic again. And uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Great. Great. Good luck. <laughs>